0: and welcome to Season 5 of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. It's Bob again. I've got actionable gamification beyond points, badges, and leaderboards. I've got Lee Kai Chao with me this morning, and uh, we're going to be talking about his new book, uh, Actionable Gamification. And my God, it is a tome. But don't be scared. It's just got a ton of amazing information. Yukai, thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Hey, so let's just jump right into the word gamification. I think it's one of the most misused words uh, in the world right now. Uh, It gets thrown at and thrown at me all the time. Should we just gamify? Uh, So let's for you define what gamification is.
1: Okay, so gamification is the craft of applying all the fun, exciting elements of games and applying that into productive activities, so things that you, uh, you don't want to do but you pretty much have to do. Things like healthcare, education, um, training, and obviously a lot of times used in, in productivity and things like that.
0: So most people think of gamification as a marketing tool, but you're, you're taking it way, way past there and more of a philosophy of how to do stuff in life.
1: Yes, it's, it's actually all about behavioral change. So I think um, gamification is, a long, is almost a line of behavioral design. So it's thinking about how do you uh, take a desired behavior and increasing it through uh, motivation. In my book, we talk about the eight core drives. Um, and one of one of the terms I like to use is is human focused design as opposed to function focused design. So most systems are are function focused. You know they they assume people will take the desired actions and then it optimizes for you know, usability, efficiency. So that's kind of like a, a factory where you assume the workers will do their work because you pay them, and then you kind of figure out how to maximize your production. But human-focused design remembers that people in the system have feelings, have motivations, have insecurities, they have reasons why they do or do not want to do something, and it, and it optimizes for that. So it's kind of like a theme park where you figure out how to make it really fun, and then you can predict that people automatically want to line up for hours and hours just to enjoy the experience. Now, the reason why we call it gamification is because the gaming industry is the first to master human-focused design because if you think about it, there's no real purpose to play in a game, right? You have to you know, go to work, you know, go to do your taxes, go to school. So if you don't, even if you don't like it, you still have to suck it up and do it. But for a game, you never have to play a game. Like the moment the game is no longer fun, you leave the game. You play another game, you uh, go check your email, go on YouTube. So because a game have, have been like a, or game the game industry in general has spent decades or even centuries depending on how you qualify a game to figure out how to get people to come back every single day, spend three hours, five hours just doing pretty much repetitive activities, you know match three jams or throwing out a bird for hours and hours when they don't have to. We're now learning from that discipline and that's why we call it gamification.
0: Is gamification also partly? uh reprogramming in the sense that you know if you want to get a new habit if you can do that new habit for x amount of days or x amount of months it just becomes ingrained and you've basically reprogrammed that part of your brain
1: that's definitely one of the uh potential outcomes of gamification, if you uh if you design it well
0: so for businesses that are interested in getting into uh, utilizing of gamification to basically motivate and stimulate the staff to be happier in doing their more redundant jobs, what do you think is the best strategy other than obviously buying this book?
1: Uh, well, if you don't buy the book, at least you should be a little bit familiar with the Octalysis framework, which you can find on my blog, my TEDx talk. But basically what it, what it is, is it breaks down human motivation in, into eight core drives so every single thing you do is based on one or more of these eight core drives, which means that if there's none of these eight core drives there, there's zero motivation. No behavior happens. But among these eight core drives, there's also different natures in those, uh, in those core drives. So we have the top ones, which we call uh, white hat core drives, and they make people feel powerful, they feel control, they feel good. And the problem is that there's no sense of urgency in that. And there's the black hat core drives that make people feel you know, uh, urgent, obsessed, even addicted so they take the action really quickly, but users often don't feel good because they don't feel like they're in control of their own actions. And so oftentimes in the long run, when they can drop out of the system, they will want to. Then we have the what we call the left brain core drives, which I always have to make the disclaimer. It's not geographic on the left side, but representing our logical brain. And these core drives uh, re- re- uh, reflect extrinsic motivation. So things you do for a purpose, for a reward, for a goal, but you don't necessarily like to do the activity itself. Whereas on the right brain core drives, we deal with intrinsic motivation, so things that you just enjoy doing, so things that um, you know you would even pay people money to do. So when you understand that framework, and, you, and your your example is you know motivating staff members, you usually want to think about going on the white hat side of things, which is epic meaning and calling core drive one, development accomplishment core drive two, empowerment of creativity and feedback core drive three, and though because. White Hat is about the long run, right? When you, when you motivate employees, you want to get, make them feel comfortable and happy in the long run. Then you want to also focus on the intrinsic motivation, you know, which again is overlapping on power, creativity, and feedback, but also core drive five, social influence and relatedness, and unpredictable curiosity. So these are things that make the job enjoyable. Most companies, re, uh, most companies like to design for uh, extrinsic motivation, the left brain core drives. And the reason is just because it's so much easier to put a reward on an activity you want as opposed to making it enjoyable. But you know, the thing about extrinsic motivation is that it's proven to kill intrinsic motivation. So if I love to draw, and I always draw for free, science has shown that one of the best ways for you to get me to stop drawing is to pay me to do it. At the beginning, I'm like, yay, I get paid to do my passion and then pay me less and less and less $5 $1 $0. 20 cents 1 cent per drawing and at one point i will stop drawing i will think you know this is insulting it's not worth my time i don't want to draw anymore even though before i met you i drew for free so i you have transitioned my extra oh, intrinsic joy of drawing into that extrinsic motivation of making money. And in which case, if the money's not enough, I just don't do it anymore. So, so to, to, the first step to understand how to design anything is to understand the, na- the different nature of, of these different core drives.
0: Well, I think that's a fundamental problem that most companies have is they'll bring people in, they'll pay them X amount, whatever they negotiate at the beginning, Uh, that might get whittled down, it actually might get increased, but after a while, it's not about the money. And then you're stuck with the problem that, well, this is a key person in the organization, we want to keep this person, but we, we can't afford to keep him by paying him a ton more money, and it doesn't seem that this money is really affecting him anymore, what can we do? And this is where a book like this would become very, very valuable for an organization.
1: Oh, yeah. Decreased uh, decrease tur- uh, turnover and increased retention. Now, one thing that companies love, when I talk to clients and whatnot, they always assume that competition uh, among each other in the workplace is good. So, they like to put on leaderboards and, and whatnot and and have that tran- quote-unquote transparency to see how, where everyone ranks. And there's actually a problem with that. So, so this type of design is, is more towards the black hat, which means that in the short run, it drives a lot of behavior, but, um, but because users don't feel comfortable, it can lead to a lot of dropouts. So, so again, when you have a leaderboard design, what you'll usually see is the top you know, 5% being extremely motivated, pushing for the top. But, but the problem is the middle tier and the bottom tier, you know, usually they get demoralized and they feel like, oh, what's the point, point? And, they, and they're constantly under stress. So pretty much no one likes to constantly be in the state of competition. You know, so, short, short bursts are fine, and some sales organization, they believe that, hey, we just need our top 5% that to generate 95% of the, uh, the, sit, the revenue, which is, you know, their strategy, but, but the key is that you want to, instead of fostering competitive play, you want to think more about collaborative play, you know, how to get people to work together. Having group leader boards is an is improvement to that, because, again, not everyone wants to be competitive. But no one likes to drag their team down, so, so they work harder because of that. The problem is most executives, they are by nature competitive, so they kind of think that everyone else is like them, so, so everyone else likes this type of leaderboard design. Um, this, this actually relates to the famous uh, GE system. Um, General Electric and Microsoft, they have the Rank and yank system, where every year they they put a ranking of everyone, and then usually the bottom ten percent gets punished somehow. G fires them. I think Microsoft at least uh, lowers their bonus or whatnot. But the problem, you know, this sounds this sounds theoretically. If if, if this was a function focused world, if we were all robots, this this worked perfectly, right? You keep cutting down the bottom. Eventually, the organization improves or improves. Um, but the problem is is that because it's black hat, people don't feel good, and they'll try to game the system. So I had friends who. Worked at GE during the time, and he's and you know my my this particular friend said that the problem with this was that whenever they hired, when uh, interviewed someone brilliant, they just they just don't want the person in the organization. Everyone hires sucky people because then they would rank better themselves, and and this obviously is a negative uh, consequence of having a design like this, which which is it's not about working together, it's about. You know, making sure everyone else in the company sucks and they're not performing well.
0: <laughs> yeah, there was a great book that came out uh, many, many years ago. And uh, one of the things it says is, look at if you want a great organization and if you want to improve that yourself in the organization, hire somebody that's actually better at doing your job than you are, because you're never going to get um, moved up in the organization until people think that when you go to your higher. Uh, management position, the people underneath you will be able to take over your job and not cause a problem. So, you know, that's the other side of that spectrum as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just some people are insecure. So they think, uh, well, if I hire people who can take over my job, then they'll take over my job before I'm ready to leave.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, and it's, it's the fear factor. One of the largest problems, uh, and I talk about this a lot of times uh, with a lot of the authors, is that how can we get rid of fear? The, the the terror of like, oh, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to push harder. Or, I'm not going to uh, do X because I'm scared. And uh, it's it's a huge, huge problem.
1: Yeah, so fear derives from a uh, core drive rate loss and avoidance, which is like the ultimate black hat core drive. It, it, it's extremely good at bottom line activity if you... If you fear someone into doing something, they'll do it, but again, they don't feel good, they'll burn out. When they can leave the system, they won't want to, which is obviously not ideal for, for most designs.
0: You know, you use interesting word, are burnout, and that's, um, you know, I've gone through that a couple of times. If you make the work environment so exciting and interesting and, and fun to be in, how do you avoid the burnout syndrome?
1: You, again, you, you wanna focus on the white hat and the intrinsic. So, so here's an example, uh, Google, right? Google, when it first started very early on, it decided that every single one of their employees is either an entrepreneur or wants to be an entrepreneur. So the moment they don't like to work at Google, they're gone. It's not like, oh, we give them paychecks, so they have to stick around. And because of that, they really tried to design an environment that they, they felt they themselves would want to be. And so they did, for instance, CoreDrive 1 is Epic Mini and Calling, right? And so they said, oh, you know, we we Google organize the world's information. That's our vision, and we do know evil. So an engineer would think, okay, I can get a paycheck anywhere I want, but um, but you know at Google I feel like I'm changing the world and I'm I'm being one of the good guys, and that's very important to me. And then they have development accomplishment, core drive 2, which is you know every you know not every engineer can become a manager, but uh, every engineer wants to feel a sense of accomplishment and and growth and development. So they introduced nine levels of engineering. You know, you go from a level four engineer to a level five engineer to a level six engineer, so you feel that progression. And then there's a core drive three, empowerment of creating and feedback, which is kind of giving a lot of people more autonomy. So a lot of corporate employees approach me and they're like, oh, you kind of want to start a new company because I have this great idea. I pitch it to my, my, my own company. And after eight months, they just ignored me and they turned it down. But it's such a great idea. I have to try it, right? People, a lot of entrepreneurs, they they become one not because they love risk. It's because they really need to try out this this creative idea they thought up. So Google says, well, we're going to introduce twenty percent time. So uh, one day of the week, you can work on anything you want. You know, you know, just keep your creative thoughts flowing. You know, on your own, as long as the IP belongs to Google. So you can see through these designs, people feel like, oh wow, I want to work at Google. It's a fun environment. So that's a lot of white hat design. Um, and and so again, this is similar to the philosophy of gamification, right, because we talk about in games, you know, no one ha- no one has to play this game. So you have to constantly think about what drives them in, what drives them, what drives them in. And and so Google thought thought about that too. You know, no one has to work here. You know, they, they choose to work here. Whereas at all the other companies, they think, oh, well, since we pay them, they have to work hard and you know we can, we can power trip on them, we can abuse them and get to work overtime and things like that. So, so that's the white hat and black hat dynamic. But then you also want to think about getting the work itself to be more intrinsic, which is beyond the giving them autonomy, creativity and providing quick feedback, you want to allow them to, to collaborate more socially. So social influence and relatedness is an intrinsic core drive, as well as unpredictable and curiosity. So unpredictable curiosity is on the right bottom of the Octalysis framework, which means that it's black hat, but it's intrinsic. So it kind of draws you in. Every day is a little bit different. There are Easter eggs. There are mystery box surprises, you know, things that just, 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 has, it just introduces some uh, interesting delight in your daily lives. And those things make uh, your work, your, your daily activities a lot more engaging and, and enjoyable.
0: You know, it's interesting. Before we get into the hassle a little bit more, you know, when you said that there are several type of work scenarios that uh, we basically survive in or or live in during our our careers. And I think for people that uh, fundamentally have gone to school, then gone to university, then joined an organization and stayed with that organization, have a very set... Uh, motivation and they're happy with what they're doing or at least they're, they're, they've talked themselves into that concept and, and they're, they're the lifers. And then you've got people that have come in and they've been a little bit more entrepreneurial and they've jumped in and out and in and out of, in and out of jobs and they're, they're more strategic and, and that's the way they've done it. And then there's people that are more... Um, uh, you know, they more play at, at being an entrepreneur where, where they're in. They'll do the thing that they want to do, and they'll do it for X amount of time, and then they'll drop off and they'll try something brand new again. Artists are a very good example of that. And then there's the true entrepreneur that's driven by the core concept, and they love to start stuff, but as soon as it gets to a certain level, uh, they kind of lose interest, and you have to bring more of a management team in to do the more redundant type of stuff. So one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you is with gamification – don't you have to deconstruction deconstruction an organization and understand all the key people in the organization because the game is different for every single person?
1: Yeah, so so this goes into uh, level 3 octalysis, which we won't go into detail, but basically you have to understand the player types. right? Different types of people are motivated differently, um, and you want to think about what core drives motivate them more. So, so everyone to some extent is motivated by these 8 core drives. It's just like uh, everyone wants to feel appreciated. Everyone wants to feel competent. And, you know, no one likes to feel incompetent, right? if If you like to feel incompetent, you like to be unappreciated, then'm I'm, I'm pretty sure in, in almost all cultures, uh, that's seen as a psychological disease. And, um, and so so we all crave that, but you know some core drives motivate us more than others. So let's say the average bell curve entrepreneur, probably more motivated by, by Epic Media and calling, right? They want to change the world, they want to do something big, and they don't mind unpredictability as much. But if you take the average bell curve accountant, probably don't like um, account uh, unpredictability as much, and they probably like Core Drive 4, ownership and possession, which is the drive that makes them want to collect, organize, accumulate, you know, file things, understand and, and see structure. Um, if you look at the average lawyer a lot of times they're motivated by loss and avoidance they're always thinking about oh we could you know we this would happen and then we get screwed and that would happen and then we get screwed and we get sued and all that stuff um and and so and then the average musicians a lot of that social influence and creativity so you so you start off with some base assumptions and you start designing your campaign based on that but generally i what i've seen is that everyone is playing a game. Now, it doesn't have to be a video game, but our brains crave these a core drives. So, everyone's playing a game. So, either you know, some people, it's coupon, uh, coupon collecting. Some people's their career, which is like hopping jobs. And some people's about hopping jobs. You know, some people can't find a game anywhere else, so they play video games. But everyone's playing a game. So, if you don't design the, your workplace to be the game that employees are playing, then they're playing other things, right? They're playing the job hopping game, or they're playing the uh, playing games during work and after work game or, you know, there's just everyone has to find something that engages their mind. And so it's your job to design your workplace to, so that they actually feel engaged to that part of their lives.
0: Let's talk about the hats because it's been brought up and and uh, for people that don't have the book in front of them, basically you've got your the, the core uh, influences that you've talked about, like the voidance and meaning and ownership and social influence. And on the outside of that, there's a, a darker, it's almost like the top of the hat and the, the brim of the hat. And that part, depending on the different structure or game design you do, it's 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 leaning a little bit more to the left or, or a little to the lower right so really what you're saying is when you're organizing uh, a gamification structure and strategy you're actually utilizing all the elements all this all the different um, things that motivate the brain uh, but it's more biased a little bit to more social in, um, influence and uh, un- unpredictability so it, it kind of leans in that direction but it also has all the other elements and some of them are less, um, and some are, are minuscule?
1: No, I would, I would say that they're all equally powerful in, in different ways. Um, it depends on your goal, right? We talked a lot about employee motivation goes into white hat intrinsic. But when it comes to e-commerce sales, you know, a lot of times that goes into black hat. Because, you know, a lot of times when you have an e-commerce site, you don't care about you know, long-term engagement should, but a lot of people just care about you know, coming on the side, buying as quickly as possible, and then leaving the side. And so, in that situation, it's all about the blackhead. It's all about loss and avoidance, right? Oh, the deal's gonna run out. You know, ten, nine, eight, seven. Hurry up! Hurry up! Or it's about exclusivity, right? Oh, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime deal. You better do it. And a lot of time there's that unpredictability. If you look at uh, websites like Root.com or. Um, or eBay there's a lot of that that oh what's going to happen you're always coming back because you want to see what what just happened what's what what now what now and so a lot of time e-commerce and sales utilize these core drive uh Oren, Oren Klaff who's the who's the author of pitch anything he also talks about you know he he's a professional fundraiser and he raises on average 2 million dollars a week so and he talks about that that scarcity right it's like instead of instead of always being desperate about money, you always feel, you, you always uh, present yourself as the prize. You know, he's, he says, you're like, well, money's the ultimate commodity. Everyone has money, but there's only one unique me. So, so why should I take your money and work with you? And he says, instead of, you know, always, always be selling, he says, actually always be leaving because well, he didn't, I don't know if he used that term always be leaving, but he's, but a lot of times he, in the middle of a conversation, if they're being difficult, he just stands up and leaves. And more often than not, they're like, hey, come on, sit down, don't be unreasonable. And because and, and he says our brain wants to capture things that are running away from us, you know, primitively we we li- like to cap- chase after things that are running away. And, and so, but, but if it comes too close to us, we want to keep our distance. So, so, you know, a lot of, so it depends on your goal, you know, it, when you're doing a lot of, uh, when you want to hook people into your experience, you want to use your left brain core drives, the extrinsic motivation, but if you want them to stay long, it's the intrinsic. So again, it's they're, they're all powerful in different ways. Um, you just have to really define what your goal is. The biggest problem the world has, even if when they figured out how to design for motivation, um they don't understand the nature of it. So they use the wrong one, which uh, which leads to unintended consequences,
0: yeah, that, that that's a very key point, and I, I think that's probably the the most in- important thing about this book. It's not necessarily about oh, uh, here's how to do X, here's how to negotiate. Better. It's about here's the fundamental core drives that you can use to um, understand how to empower your negotiation technique or when something happens in a negotiation, you know what the psychological background of that is with your uh, opponent on the other side of the table.
1: Yeah. So, so the book's kind of broken into three, three sections. Uh, you know, one is more about the foundational psychology behind everything. You know, that that's the most important because you can have all these game elements, right? You could have the group quests, you can have the, the mystery boxes, you can have the magnetic caps, but if it does not talk appeal to the core drives, it doesn't do anything. So the foundation of that psychology is, is very important. Then it's about, um, how to use those, those those core drives through game te- game design techniques and design into apps and a lot of examples. And then at the end it's more about, you know, how how can a person use this design from scratch, which I which I showcase. Um, but but again, the goal is really important. For instance, like Zynga, right? The gaming company, uh, Zynga has figured out how to do all of these black hat game techniques, which they don't think about it that way because they don't have this framework. They think about it as data-driven design. And when you see and and uh, But the problem is because Black Hat drives urgency and obsession, if you're measuring short-term data, you're always gonna go for the Black Hat because it shows quicker results. Uh, but because they figure out how to do all this Black Hat, all their short-term metrics look great, right? Retention, monetization, addiction, you know, all that stuff, virality. The problem is because users don't feel good playing Zynga games when they can't leave the system they will want to, which is why in the long run they show stagnant results, and then last year they doubled down on all these casino slot machine games, which is obviously Black Hat 2, really pushing on that front. And we, we know that they would, they would benefit significantly if they focus more on Core Drive 3 and power enough creativity and feedback, because this is, a, this is on the right top, which just means it's white hat and intrinsic. It's, it's that long-term Core Drive. Any, any game in the market that's timeless... Has this core drive because users are just using their brain, their creativity, solving problems, seeing feedback, adjusting itself, like chess. You know, they, chess does not need to add more content every every week, and it's been around for centuries. People study it for hours a day; still fun. And and so, actually, ironically, the only two games Zynga has that uh, co- like continuously successful are games where they accidentally are copied other people's core drive three empowerment of creativity and feedback without even realizing. So one is Zynga Poker. You know, poker is a timeless game, already has that empowerment of creative feedback. The other one is words with friends. Again, Scrabble already has that empowerment of creative and feedback. And obviously they also have social influence. They have unpredictability um, design and all that stuff. So together, those two games made Zynga, you know, sustainably successful, whereas everything else is kind of, you know, you, you launch and you burn and you lose your sleeve.
0: Is it because we kind of have, uh, especially here in North America, a... a um buy and discard mentality towards products regardless if it's a digital product or a physical product you know you buy a new car every now and again you're get, getting new tvs you're always getting new phones even though the, your old phone's completely okay to use but because of social pressure and and, and sales pressure, you say, eh no i have to have the new iphone or I have to have the new this and that
1: yeah well that really depends on the design right because you know in north America. Order, so so the, these things are driven by the black hat core drives, like scarcity and impatience, right? I want things I can't have, which is the newest thing, the newest thing, the most exclusive. Stuff, I want that, and I'm particularly curiosity, right? It's also about new, new, new. I want the new stuff. Um, and then you know, then there's the middle core drives, ownership, possession, which means I want to accumulate more and more and more. I want to buy more. I want to protect what I have. Um, and then there's and then there's social. But but I think beyond that we also, we also like white Hat things. So things that the white hat things are, if we do it, it actually makes us feel happy. Right. Things that are meaningful, like, uh, you know, pursuing your faith, you know, epic meaning calling or, or working for a cause, protecting the environment. You know, some people have epic meaning calling for like Marvel, you know, comic books, you know, they, and they spend their entire lives being hardcore on it. They're not switching all the time. They're, they have one passion. They talk about it all the time. Um, or, you know, Empowering to create some feedback. They're always interested in this type of problem solving. You know, people who are just deep into advanced mathematics or or or, or space or just or even just uh, 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 carpentry, right? It's just we we our brains need those things. But again, those don't create urgency. So so you know we want to do things that make us feel happy, that make us feel accomplished, that make us feel like we're closer to this bigger vision. And if we do it again, we're ha- we would be happy. But the problem is that we spend all our time doing the things that are black hat that makes us feel sad. So, you know, again you know, this deadline's coming up, that's loss and avoidance, right? Oh, this this exclusive deal is about to expire, you know, scarcity, and oh, what's on Facebook, what's on Pinterest? That's unpredictability or curiosity. Um, there's uh, studies that show that whenever you pull down your Facebook feed and refreshes, that's to the brain, it's it's like pulling a slot machine bar, right? You pull and it's like, oh, did I win? Did something interesting show up? No, nothing, okay, I'm gonna pull again. Hey, this is cool, I won, you know, and it drives that addictive behavior too.
0: Hmm. Do you think the word gamification is actually hindering the widespread development of a more sophisticated strategy like you put down in this book?
1: Uh, Yeah, so (laughs) the term, so the funny thing about the term gamification is even most people in the industry, they don't really like the term, but the term itself, uh, I'd say it's a blessing and a curse. So the, the blessing is that it kind of unlocks people's imagination, right? It's, it's anything it's like, oh, I love games, so gamification must be really cool. Like, And, and this is why it became the term that has the most, uh, I guess, marketing umbrella. Like, you if you have if you create a, f- a conference on human-focused design or behavioral design, then it's like, man, it's, it's like only like nerdy scientists go to it, but you have a conference gamification and hey, this is so much fun. Everyone joins, everyone shows up and you, you pull in... Speakers from all different types of industries, right? Um, now the the curse is that because it's all gamification. First of all, it's a long-winded, annoying word, and the second of all, it's it's not very precise, right? It's like what is it? It's like kind of confusing, and, and it could be anything, and people kind of uh, kind of throw it around for different. Like oh, this is a game. Well, oh, this is gamification. No, that's just a game. Oh, you know that's gamification. So 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 it becomes fuzzy and messy and and. And people who say they're experts on gamification, you really have no idea what they're good at. The, this industry became what it is because of this term, so so I, I can't discredit it. Uh, but also because of the term, there's it's also created a lot of mess that, that I, I try to dedicate a lot of my my, my time to clean up.
0: Well, it's the same thing uh, we have with podcasting is people don't really understand what the word is. They know, they kind of know what it is. Um, it's much easier to say it's an online radio show. Then they go, oh, oh, okay. And then all the stereotypes come together and they go, oh, I get it. Now I can assign some value to it or some understanding and get it. And a lot of a lot of the way with dealing with communication with, with uh, everybody else around us is that, they just want to be able to compartmentalize, right? They want to say, oh, yeah, I know what that is, so now I can forget it. The thing with gamification, the word gamified, instantly everybody thinks about a computer game and the last computer game they play. So uh, popping balloons or uh, a Star Trek adventure game or uh, a really deep uh, game where you have to travel to all the different places. All that type of stuff, kind of that's where it gets gets compartmentalized and then people don't take it seriously what you've done with this book is saying yeah yeah i get that guys but that's not what it is you're saying that the gaming industry is basically the first to master it and now let's take all that amazing knowledge and use it on a day-to-day basis to make our lives better that's a huge difference to what people perceive gamification
1: yeah so so i do a lot of uh interesting projects across the board so like I help companies, uh, big financial firms gamify the SEC compliance training. I help coupon websites get people to have a lot of fun with, with, you know, collecting and discovering new coupons. Uh, I help a company in Australia uh, gamify Forex trading, so foreign uh, currency exchange uh, trading. You know, it's kind of all over the place. I help eBay uh, make their, their online C2C sellers become more uh, professional sellers, so it's kind of across the board. I always say that as long as you long as can define a desired behavior, we can improve that. Now there's only there's two limitations that, that what we can't do. One is we can't make things uh, machine smarter, right? So if people say, oh, my, my, my images aren't loading, my queries are slow, I can't help you. Um, two is that we can't get people to do things they don't know how to do. So I can't get someone to fly a plane across the Pacific Ocean, because they just don't know how to fly a plane. I can, however, motivate them to learn how to fly a plane. So it, it, as long as it relates to your motivation, your desired behavior, we can, we can improve that as long as you understand how the brain works and, uh, and apply a lot of these things that we've learned from games.
0: What about taking um, stuff that you don't want to learn? Okay, here's a fundamental problem. I want to become a... a a director of movies or whatever. And so I go to a school and I pay a ton of money and that school teaches me, if you do all this, you're going to be the next Spielberg. And then I come out of the school and suddenly I'm in an industry that really doesn't care about who I am or what I can do. They just need somebody to run around as a production assistant and take the garbage out of the garbage cans. And if you do that for several years, then maybe you get to touch a camera. So um, how do you gamify the low end that jobs that have to get done in an organization because the organization needs to have it done. and yet gamify it so it's a desirable thing to start off in an organization and and you do that and you you get to know the organization, you grow within the organization.
1: yeah. so so every case is different. every every case, again, depending on the player types, the scenario, the context, we would we would design it differently. So so that's why it's hard for me to just, you know say, this is the solution that solves all your problems within like a, a five-minute Q&A session. Like, it's funny because sometimes when I do a, a conference keynote and there's like 500,000 people in the audience, you know, Q&A session, so someone says, hey, I work in the healthcare industry. What can I do now to solve all my problems? You know, big summary of that, right? It's like, well, I don't know, depending on what you do and what you're and all that stuff. But but the key, again, so this is why I, I can't teach people all the solutions on the spot, but I teach them a framework to think about the, the the solution right. So what you're talking about again is is a lack of white hat right. It's it's like you know you don't feel like you're progressing. You don't feel like there's development and accomplishment, and you don't feel like there's there's empowerment of creativity. There's no autonomy right. You're just you're just people telling you can go left and go right, and there's really no. It sounds like there's no social influence relatedness. There's no one that says I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to help you grow in your career, and there's also no. Epic meaning and calling. I mean, that's self-driven. If, depending on why you, depending on why you want to be a, a movie director, because those people who who are really, really, really passionate about it—that's their epic meaning and calling, right? That's how they want to change the world. How they define their lives. They don't mind this part because they see how their actions tie into that bigger vision. But if you're just like, if you're focused on accomplishment, hey, I just want to be famous. I just want to make huge movies, right? Then obviously, that motivation is not strong enough. If you're not actually feeling the progress, um, so a lot of time it's designed those things. Uh, one theme is is mentorship. So there's actually a funny story in a game, and um, so so this game called Parallel Kingdoms, and you know the the game doesn't look super pretty, but it's very, but it it monetizes well. A lot of people play it, and then I uh, so I, I started learning how to play the game. I I, I anticipate just playing for two hours to learn their mechanics and then leave. So about an hour in. They, they gave me a message that says, hey, so-and-so user has been signed to be your mentor. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And, and so the so-and-so user later on shows up and says, hey, you know, let me let me help you with some things. So he gave me a lot of stuff, his old stuff, that was way better than what I could get at the point. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then I'm like, well, if I quit right now, I'd be wasting all that stuff. I'll kind of disappoint him. So I stayed on for a little longer. And then he, he helped me you know, go through all these dungeons really easily. That, that was easy for him, very difficult for me. And he did that for an hour and I'm like, wow, this guy's like investing in me because he should be fighting at this high level. He's getting nothing here. So I felt really like, of course I can't quit right now. I'd be the biggest disappointment ever. So then I followed him. I joined his kingdom. I stayed on for a lot longer. Instead of playing for two hours, I played for two months um, because of that mentorship relationship. And if you look at that, that organization, right, it's really important. If, you, if you've ever seen like a like a college fraternity, you know, they have this uh, big bro, little bro, you know, program because most of the time pledging is very, very, very difficult, emotional draining, and they need someone to, to, to carry them along, like give them emotional support. So I, in my book, I talk about like, even if you're, organizing, you're, inter- you're interviewing someone, right, for a job, you know, just saying something like, if you happen to get a position here, I will be your mentor. You know, that itself, regardless of the person gets the job or not, gives people a much better impression of your company, right? Because now it's not just you grinding me, you grilling me about, about what I know. It's about a relationship developing at this spot. It's like, wow, if I join your company, I'll get taken care of. I will learn from you. And, and even if I don't get the job, I, I will still think, wow, this company is really good. I still want to get in because they seem like they take care of their people. That social influence and relatedness is also very very important in in, in all environments and teachers also and things like that.
0: Now you know you've been doing this a long time and uh, you know the book is massive, so there was a lot of thought and and energy put into the book. But for you, what was your aha moment? Something really crystallized. You 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 knew about gamification, you knew about a lot of stuff, but when you put it down into the book, you say, "Wow, I truly get that as a fundamental core thing."
1: Well, what's what's really funny is so, so a lot of this material is uh, is tried and tested. So, you know, I run workshops where people pay $1,000 per person to attend and and afterwards they all feel like they got a ton out of it. So so I know this material works, but w- the funny part is when I first started writing a book, I wasn't sure if I had enough material to write a full book. And then I started planning and then I realized, hey, well, I, I guess I need to write three books instead of one. And my book one, I planned 28 chapters. Okay, and then I wrote to about six chapters, sixteen and seventeen, and it's a and it's already or chapter fourteen, I think, and it's already over four hundred pages. <laughs> I'm like, oops, I think I I I can't really write twenty-eight chapters. <laughs> so so then I I decided to cut it off at seventeen, chapter seventeen. So which means that I I'm actually a third way done of my second book, the second book that I haven't started yet, and I have three other books to write. But it's just funny where. Uh, on book book one, most of the content I already know. Um, you know, it's just really putting into words. You know, having the right examples and whatnot. There's there's fewer aha moments. Um, it's kind of just sharing what I've what I've been sharing a lot, just in more detail. the The one big risk that I took was um, the second to last chapter, which is I wanted to show. I wanted to make sure the user, the reader, doesn't just have a lot of knowledge, feel good, and and, and then. And and not know what to do on their own projects, right? And so, because the whole book is called actionable gamification, I want to be actionable. So, on that chapter, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to show you how to how I would design a project from scratch. Um, but I can't show show any of my clients' projects because you know I, there's there's NDAs, confidentiality. So I'm going to show you how I would redesign my own website. I haven't even done that. So I was sitting down as I write, I'm designing. I haven't I didn't design the full thing and then write. I was. As I'm writing, and I just write, you know, uh, at this point I would define the business metrics, the users. Huh, this I'm not sure yet, so I might come back to that later. And then maybe four pages down, ha! Huh, I thought of a good idea, and I would change this, this, this thing that I couldn't figure out four pages ago. This is the solution, and I think it's, and I'm happy with it. You know, it was a risk because I don't know what's going to come out of it. And so far, I've heard people like like that chapter a lot because it, it really, it really. Uh, brings them into into my world of, of how to how to design something
0: did you use gamification yourself while making the book
1: uh in terms of gamifying myself or gamifying the readers
0: uh no gamifying yourself and then let's talk about gamifying the readers
1: i tried a few different things i mean there, implicitly there's a lot of um epic me and calling and development and accomplished creativity right so the white hat stuff is already there now the thing again, writing a book again are those things that if i spend time doing it makes me happy right i should be doing it but then most of my time is spent in the black hat things, the client deadlines, the, the new exciting things or, you know, what's what's on YouTube, stuff like that. So I had to figure out how to uh, design for for some for for more urgency, for more consistency. And I mean, some things work, some things didn't. So one thing I did was uh, last year I had a workshop and I said and the reward of the rich. If you attend the workshop, one of the things you also get is a signed copy of my book. So I and this was like six months out. So so I used that as a scarcity kind of element to really push me forward in writing the book more, because you know now there's a now there's a real deadline, Um, and so that that worked exactly the way the framework says it would work and wouldn't work. So for the time for the first few months, you know I'm like oh there's a deadline. There's a lot deadline. So I pushed really really hard. I spent like four or five hours a day just writing writing writing. You know. Uh, but because it's black hat, it came to a point where black hat doesn't make people feel good. It leads to burnout. Right. So it came to a point where I realized that I'm not going to finish this book by the workshop. And then at that point, scarcity becomes loss and avoidance, which is denial. And then I'm like, ah, oh, what, you know, I'll just take it easy. I, I can't make it. So, and then after that I had a, it's a it's huge rebound, right? It's so like for, for, for weeks and weeks, I just didn't want to touch the book or maybe i touched it a little bit. So so that, you know, again, Black Hat is really good at short term bursts, but long term engagement it's it's not ideal. Now the other thing that worked really well, which actually I, I do credit to uh, BJ Fogg's what they call what he calls tiny habits. So the thing about the book is Again, when you do the book, it's enjoyable. It's intrinsically rewarding to write the book. The problem is that you never get yourself to write the book, right? So I would be doing my client work, the things I'm supposed to do, and then once I finish, you know, a big chunk, I should be writing my book, right? But I'm like, ah, oh, I'm gonna take a break. I'm gonna, you know, go take a walk or something. And then after I take a break, I'll come back and I write the book. But when you take a break and come back, then you know, there's more work. There's more emails, and if, and the black hat sucks you in again. So what worked out really, really well was I always thought okay before I take a break I'm just going to read the last paragraph I wrote and what happened you know that's easy it's not the full chapter it's not so I don't procrastinate it's like oh, yeah, I'll just read the last chapter I'm 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 curious you know but when 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 I read the last paragraph Um, you know your your creative juices just start flowing. You're like, oh wow! Then you keep writing, 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 and you write write for another hour. And then you're like, oh, work emails. You know, you start dealing with emails and and work and client stuff. And then like, oh, I'm gonna take a break. But wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the last paragraph first. And I read the last paragraph, and I start to and I start writing the book for another hour. So so then I'm just like, oh, I I actually want to take a break, but I'm just not doing it. And it makes it's like, why am I not taking my break? But then I just. Happen to 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 get a ton of progress on my book, so that 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 tiny that tiny action is very important in our brain's head. If you if you read uh, Getting Things Done, right, it's like when when we don't really know what to do or the work is a huge chunk, then we procrastinate. Then we then we then we don't think about it till later. But if we know it's a very small and manageable chunk, our brain processes it. Cognitive, it's called cognitive ease. Our brain processes it very easily, and and so we don't procrastinate. We just do it. But once we do it, that if, if there's that intrinsic joy in doing the t- activity, then it just flows on. So those, 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 those are two big things that, uh, in terms of gamification and motivation design, that, that I've encountered in my book writing.
0: It sounds like a, a writer uh, I talked to many, many, many years ago, and he would write, he was a, a fiction writer, and he'd write and write and write. And then he said, that's it for today. And the, the last thing he would do is he'd write, and then... Dot dot dot, and then he'd get off from the typewriter. So as soon as he sat down at the typewriter, he'd read the last, literally the last paragraph, and then and boom, he was off to the races, and he'd write for another eight hours. It's <laughs> amazing. So, what gamification have uh, techniques have you used in the book to get people to, to drive through the book and and uh, because this is a book you have to read from cover to cover. You, you even mention it at the beginning, um, which it, it, it's it's interesting. A lot of times we need read an introduction. It's like, yeah, I didn't need to read that. You really should read the introduction to this book because it really gets your head in the right space. So I'm curious, um, what did what have you used to drive people through the five? Let me just go get a, a reference here. Almost 500 pages of of content.
1: I use a different things, and again, it's all about desired action. Right? What do you want people to do? And it's not just finishing the book. So so I want the book. To be, it's kind of like the the first three episodes of Star Wars, right? Watching watching the Star Wars movies isn't the end of the journey; it's the beginning of the journey, right? It opens up to a whole new world. Then you have all this fan fiction. You have to explore the universe. Have all this stuff, and it's and you have a community, you know, you know. So so I wanted this book to be the beginning of it. So I did a lot of things, designs in the book. So for instance. Um, you know, there's a lot of triggers, we call them, to to take outside actions. And, and so one of the things, I have a bunch of what we call game techniques. And so, like I said, there's, the, the, there's different things like appointment dynamics, there's a torture break and all this. And all of them have a game technique number. And, you know, these game techniques with their numbers are kind of populated throughout the book. And also my website and some of my videos and so basically it's like a scavenger hunt, right? You, you you collect some and I know a lot of my readers, my audience have been putting together Excel spreadsheet and they're like, "Oh, what's number 37? What's number 48?" you know. And so so that makes that makes people want to collect all of them and so it makes them first of all they want to finish the book because they want to c- uh, capture more of these game techniques and they also want to check out more of my blog posts and my videos to do that. Um, I have a lot of um, oh and and, and and end of every chapter I let them pick between a few uh, challenges, right, and there's and I, and I specify like you should only choose one of the below, which is, you know, and there's usually easy, medium, and hard, or sometimes just easy. And med- At the beginning, there's just only, only easy and medium, or easy, easy, uh, just because I want them to feel like the hard is kind of unlocked, you know, it's not just, you always have hard. It's like, now you've gotten to this place, you've earned the, the option to tackling a hard one. And, and I tell them to just do one because most of these, we talk about the tiny habit stuff, right? The tiny, um, which is like a BJ Fogg. And uh, so most of the stuff said like, hey, do all of these question sets. And people's like, ah, oh, that's a lot. I'm just gonna skip it. You know, I wanna read more. Uh, but if it says do one, I raise it. Okay, well, let's let's pick one at least. Let's figure out which one I would do. And uh, so that's a little bit more of that empowerment of creative feedback, those meaningful choices. Um, there are, you know, there's. I try to communicate a lot of the epic meaning and calling. How we're, we're really about changing the world. We're li, really about removing that barrier between what people, you know, want to do and what people have to do. Because I believe the barrier doesn't need to be there. Uh, I use a lot of oh, inf- the, the part, social influence relatedness. A so part of the reason why the book is so thick is because instead of just technically discussing all the issues, I go into a lot of my own personal stories. Some of them, you know, make me very vulnerable, you know, uh, some of them are kind of embarrassing, but it allows people to connect to my story. And so there's a, there's that relatedness part of it. So, you know, there's a lot of little things that are embedded in the book, um, to get people to read more or, or be more. And, and a lot of triggers ask them to, to go, for instance, to the Facebook, to my Facebook page and then join, join a bigger community, Things like, or study, or study my points badges leaderboard system on my on my blog because Core chap and a Core Drive Two is about development accomplishment. I talk about how to re, completely redesign Captain Up's uh, default uh, uh, system, and I said, "Well, now that you read about it, come to my blog and uh, experience it for yourself." So I said, I "Do a lot of little things." There are some cool things that I want to do, but unfortunately, it was very difficult. Maybe for future books, like I wanted to do things that, for instance, was like. Like Easter eggs, like invisible text where you can only you can only see if you use a black light, you know, random things like that, or little 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 pictures where um, if you flip the book through really quickly, you'll see this little animation, you know, stuff like that. But but as you under, as you know, like uh, from a from a logistical book production standpoint, that's 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 beyond what i what i can comfortably do right now
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that that's well that's that's a gamification for yourself is like oh i could do this i could do that and eh too much effort let's get back to the chapter
1: <laughs> yeah so so what's interesting about gamification is again you can drive behavior but there's always what we call efficiency loss so let's say the desired action is very efficient right just pe- everyone just has to press a big red button and then you know everything you need is done However, no one presses that button because there's zero motivation, right? So you design a game and the game takes two hours to play, but at the end of the game, every single person will press that red button. So so now what you have is a two hour efficiency loss, right? People, everyone wasted two hours, but at the end, they're motivated to press that button. So, and this is an extreme example, but a lot of times when we design, there's always that balance, right? It's like, well, now, instead of just signing up or just just uh, filling out your profile, now you're collecting uh, these these collection set items, right? That takes time, but this makes it fun. So now people will want to collect the stuff and fill in their profile and do this and invite their friends. Whereas if you don't have this, if it just says fill out your profile, people don't care. They don't do it. So there's there's always that. And so from from a, from my standpoint, I could. I could add to I could add more fun into it and look creative things, but at the end of the day, uh, I can't afford the efficiency losses because I've already spent so much time on writing the book.
0: <laughs> um, you know, on page one fifty nine it's, um, it's got this great. Uh, motivational thing. It says to get the most out of this book, choose only one of the below options to do the right to do right now. That's talk basically taking almost every element in the gamification uh, lexicon and use, utilizing it in one sentence. You've got the scarcity. You've got the actionable thing. Uh, when you actually look at the list, it goes easy, medium, medium. It doesn't ever go to hard. So uh, I think is a brilliant example of what the whole book's about in one sentence. Thank you. Hey, uh, before we go, I wanted to ask you, for people that are interested in, in learning more about gamification and, and really getting their heads around, because really it's a thing you have to get your head around before you really see the amazing value that it brings, um, where should they go?
1: Okay, so you know my blog is the place where I share most of my content. So it's com. If you go to octalysis.com, you get there too. And, or, or if you just Google... Uh, gamification framework, gamification examples, gamification expert—you'll you'll find me uh, at the top of the search results. Um, beyond that, you know, uh, I guess is is to check out the book or my TEDx talk, Google gamification TEDx. You'll find it, and then from there you'll you'll find a lot of a lot more content, and also it'll lead you to, to other places to go.
0: And you mentioned earlier in the interview that uh, you have two more books. What are those books going to be about?
1: So yeah, yeah. So so one of the books, my next one, I think, which is which is not the book I I wrote a third of. I think I'm stepping away from the technical design for a while. Is going to be on lifestyle gamification. So the title, I I think, right now it's going to be called Ten Thousand Hours of Play. (laughs) Yeah. So so it's really about so. This first book is about the foundation, the psychology, how to design an environment so your users will do desired behavior and enjoy it, right? They'll they'll actually they'll actually want to be in that environment, um, and so. But this next one is about how do you turn your life into a game? Do all the things that you want to do, you know, start a business, you know, write a book, you know, level up, grow in your career, be healthy, you know, spend more time with your family, things like that. Wow. So the concept is ten thousand hours play, right? So it's Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hours makes you an expert. But the premise that if you design your life correctly, it's not ten thousand hours of sweat, tears, and blood, it's ten thousand of just enjoyment play and you don't even know you're you're grinding at something and then after a while like, Hey, I'm an expert, I'm successful in life. That's the premise of the book.
0: I love that because um, I'm a true believer that everybody has a, a knack or something that they truly love to do. And uh, if they can find a career or, or have a, a job that enables them after their job to do that thing, one thing that they really, really love, they have a very, very satisfied uh, life. Yep. So. Yukai, thank you for coming on the show. It was awesome. I can't wait for your next book to come out. I mean, it's rare that I say that, but yeah, for sure, I think there's a huge niche for that second book. Uh, For everybody out there listening, definitely check out this book. It will uh, basically change the way you look at life and how you uh, game your way through life. And if you're a manager and own a company, I think it's a critical book to get. Actionable gamification. And uh, I could foresee this becoming a textbook at universities and at schools for students having to read uh, to get along with their life. So thanks again for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure.
0: Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.